Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 63, Thursday, November 7th, 2019, and ladies and gentlemen, the college basketball season has officially arrived. It's an unbelievably busy time of year right now for handicappers with the NFL, college football, the NBA, and now college basketball in full swing. Everything is going on, and that means that there's more games to handicap, more teams to stay on top of, and more numbers to crunch. But of course, that also means more work for the bookies. So this really is a great time on the calendar uh, to find some of the best betting board value that you will see all year long. My apologies to listeners for not posting a special Doggy Juice college basketball preview pod earlier in the week. Like I said, I might do in last week's episode. I was actually out in Denver over the weekend trying to change the hearts and minds of the people uh, with, with the sports betting bill that was just passed yesterday officially by less than 1.5%. Uh, so I was clearly the difference. Just kidding. I was actually just partying with my sister and her friends uh, the whole time. But um, I was able to try and tell some people about the sports betting bill. So maybe there was a little bit of word of mouth there. But sports betting is officially legalized in Colorado, the 19th state to do so. And things are just so crazy right now that I wasn't able to do a pod earlier in the week. But I do have good news for all of you who are looking to do or, or to hear some college hoops information, today I sat down with Joe Bazell, the newest writer at Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News, my colleague there, uh, to talk about college basketball and the NBA. Joe is a part-time writer for the NCAA, which is really cool. And he also has a ton of experience uh, as a college basketball writer in general. And he also runs The Unathletic. It's a hilarious Twitter and Instagram account that it's basically like The Onion, but for sports. And those accounts have crazy, crazy amount of followers. So be sure to, to give that a follow at the Unathletic HQ. So in this episode, I will start off with some quick college hoops thoughts, and then we'll jump right into my interview with Joe B. And after that, I'll offer some of my favorite college football and NFL plays this weekend that are still out there in the marketplace. And of course, we'll also hear from our resident doggy juice degenerate, the Danimal, to see who he likes this week. All right, let's start out with some college hoops. The Michigan State Spartans were your preseason AP number one team, but they already lost their opener to number two Kentucky on Tuesday night in the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden as three-point favorites. And then number three Kansas lost to number four Duke as a two-point closing favorite. And that was a crazy ending on that one. If you got on er the Kansas uh, Jayhawks early on that one, because Duke was a two-point favorite early on, that there was a three-point or a meaningless three at the very end. Uh, to allow Duke just to win by two points. So if you got on that early, it just pays to shop and, and get on prices early. But uh, Duke ended up moving to a two-point dog. I even saw two-and-a-half point, uh, plus two-and-a-half out there in the marketplace, and they ended up winning the game outright. And then rounding out the preseason top ten, uh, besides those first four I just mentioned, are Louisville at number five. And honestly, I think this is this might be one of your best teams in the country. I think there, there's a chance that they could they could easily finish this season as top two. Uh, Florida at number six, another team I'm very high on. Uh, Maryland at number seven, Gonzaga number eight, North Carolina number nine, and Villanova is number 10. Defending national champion Virginia is sitting in 11th, and they uh, didn't miss any beats. The pack line defense didn't miss a beat at least. They held Syracuse to 38 points in their first game of the season last night. Uh, a big storyline this season, uh, besides the 148 games that we had on the opening slate on Tuesdays, the ACC is starting their conference um, slate early. They're moving to a 20-game season, and they are also debuting or have debuted the ACC Network. 
So they're trying to really push that and, and have a lot of conference games early on, which I know there's mixed opinions about that, but the ACC did tip off its conference play on the first day of the season on Tuesday. Uh, teams that I'm high on compared to the market at the start of the season, like I said earlier, Florida. I think this is just a, this is gonna be a great team, especially come March. I found a 20 to one ticket on them. They have Blackshear um, down low for them, which was really their missing piece. There, they needed like a really good post presence. He transferred over from Virginia Tech, and he, he's really gonna be bringing veteran presence to that locker room too, because they're a younger team. They have a lot of sophomores on that squad, um, guys who really. Took, took a lot of leaps over the summer and, and really improved over the summer. So that team is going to be a force this year. Ohio State, they're ranked number number 18, but I have them fringe top 10 on my stuff under third-year coach Chris Holtman, the former Butler coach who Joe Bazell and I, uh, we touch on in the interview. So you're going to hear Joe dive more into him uh, later on. But uh, also Illinois, fighting a line. I, I, I wrote an article on them for Bet Chicago, Ben Indiana News, how I'm on them this year they took a, a trip out to Europe and I think they took a lot of their players really took a, a big leap over the summer you saw a lot of improvement and they have uh, one of the best backcourts in the Big Ten of course they maybe look bad on Tuesday night uh, they were they were smoothly you know or comfortably winning that game against Nickel State but then just totally down the stretch something happened and they they just they just lost it Nickel State tied the game and it went to overtime and, and Illinois needed overtime to beat Nickel State at home in their first game but Look to play on them early on in the season when the game the games get a little more meaningful and, and uh, they play a tougher competition. Um, and then besides that, Oregon, I, I'm not really looking to play on them early in the season, but come tourney time in March, that Dana Altman defense really, really frustrates teams, and they have awesome senior point guard over there that, that I think uh, is obviously no pro potential, but he's going to be one of the best point guards in the country, especially come March. So if that team stays healthy, Oregon is going to definitely make some noise come tournament time. And we're already churning out a lot of great college hoops content over at Bet Chicago, Bet Indiana News. Joe Rogers, Joe Bazell, and I have already written a bunch of team preview articles. And Joe Rogers was actually in Vegas this week meeting a bunch of bookmakers and going behind the counter. And we'll look to bring him on here on the podcast next week to talk about that experience and how odds makers are admitting that they're vulnerable to early season college basketball totals. Uh, that's definitely the bread and butter for serious college basketball betters is totals. Uh, that's the softest market there is, especially in some of those smaller conferences. Uh, college basketball totals is where it's at. So, All right, let's jump right in. Without further ado, let's get to our interview with Joe Bizzell. All right, Doggy Juice Pod listeners, I am pleased to bring on the newest writer at Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana News, Joe Bazell. How's it going, Joe? It's going great, Mike. Good to be here. How's it going with you? It's going well. I've been looking forward to bringing you on the pod here because you're, you're a fellow Chicago and everyone else that works with us on the editorial staff doesn't even live here. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's <laughs> nice up here at uh, Lincoln Park right now, uh, a chipper 32 degrees. <laughs> yeah, I'm right, right there with you. I'm out in Lakeview, so we're right nearby each other. Um, are you... Were you born and raised Chicago, or where did you grow up? Uh, uh, the suburbs. So I grew up in Elmhurst, um, which is obviously oh. a controversial topic, Like, I, which I'll talk about. I moved to Atlanta after college, and people would ask me where I was from. And one time I said Chicago, my Uber driver is like, oh, what part? I'm from Inglewood. I'm like, oh. Well, <laughs> <I'm from, laughs> I've had that argument. <laughs> so uh, I'll just say the suburbs of Chicago from now on. 
How about you? Yeah, so that's I I did not know that until we're and we're live right now. Um, I'm from Glen Ellen, but I have a lot of family in in Elmhurst. My my dad went to school at York. My my cousins went to school at York, and I I go there. My my grandma, my late grandma, she lived there. My aunt and uncle live out there, so it's it's uh, I'm very familiar with with Elmhurst. Did you go to York? Yeah, go Dukes. Oh man, dude, the the shack by the track. Yeah, I'm a hilltopper. They call it the, the the dump on the hump and the shack by the track. I think that's what they called it back in the day. Because there, there's that, um, there's only my, my dad told me when I was a kid. But like there's like long like a long time ago out in the western suburbs, there was just Glenbard, and I you know I went to Glenbard West. Mm-hmm. Now there's four of them, but there was just Glenbard and there was just York. There weren't many other schools out in that area, and there's a big rivalry that they developed. You know, back in the talking like the the '60s. You know, but but um, yeah, it's, it's still same conference. We probably you know. Probably been, have you ever been to Glenbard West? Oh yeah, yeah. I played I played basketball and baseball in high school. So and you guys always kicked our ass in football. So I, I didn't play, but yeah, Shack by the track. That's good. I wish I would have known that. Before. Yeah, yeah. It's it's always what I told my cousins growing up. But no, that's funny, man. It's we're from the same mm-hmm. same stopping grounds, pretty much. There but uh, yeah, so so obviously you're you're a Chicago guy. I'm sure you a big reason for your and and I want to talk more about your background and everything here too but i'm sure that you fell into fell in love with basketball just because of michael jordan you know like growing up for me that was like my big pull i was obsessed right. with michael jordan growing up i'm sure the same for you yeah absolutely i was so i'm only 26 years old uh i would say my first my first sports memory was the 98 finals bulls jazz when jordan hit the shot over <laughs> yeah. i think it was byron brian russell and I, th- I remember watching it with my grandpa and us like going out and celebrating in the streets and people like banging pots and pans and stuff. And, uh, and that was, yeah, that's probably my first sports memory. And from there I was kind of hooked and got into like the white Sox, the bears, et cetera. Yeah, no, it's, I was right there with you on the banging pots and pans. I'll never forget that moment. I <laughs> forgot that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I, I'm a little older than you, but my favorite, Besides that moment, my favorite Bulls memory was the Paxson shot in 1993. That's one of the oldest ones I can remember. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like six or something. But I, I went, I ran down the hallway um, after Paxson hit the three to like go tell like my mom. She was giving like my my sister was a baby at the time, like a bath or something like that. And I, I, I ran down the hallway, slipped and fell, and I, I hit my knee oh, no. and started bleeding. And, and there's the scar on my knee still from that fall and so I, I view it as like a like a chicago bulls tattoo every time i look at it i, I think about john paxson at three so it's it's nice man i like it that's like poetic <laughs> man that's awesome <laughs> oh yeah it's, a, it's the best injury i've ever suffered in my life <laughs> oh, so um so i got a little segue here i know you're you're a big college basketball guy and you know after that bulls team you know, disbanded in 98, I, I turned to college hoops and specifically Trajan Langdon and the 1998 Duke team that I somehow fell in love with. I think I was watching the great Alaska shootout mm-hmm. as like a, a sixth grader. And I was like, Oh, all right, bulls, bulls are going to suck now. Maybe I'll get into college hoops. And I, I really like this guy who keeps drilling threes for, for the Duke blue Devils. So I, I hopped on, that was, that was how I fell in love with college hoops initially. And from there I was hooked, but I know you're really into it. You want to want to tell the listeners about, your history and your, um, and, and all your involvements. Yeah, sure. So, um, let's see, I got into college hoops. Um, I was in Notre Dame. I've had like multiple teams, but now like I'm a Butler grad, so I'm a Butler supporter now, but, uh, around 2000, I got really into Notre Dame for whatever reason. Uh, my first AIM screen name slash AOL email address was Notre Dame PG one at AOL.com. Uh, don't think it's accurate <laughs> no. anymore. So don't try to reach me there. But I got really into like those Chris Thomas, uh, Chris Quinn teams. But then Illinois got really good. Um, 
that, you know, those uh, D Brown, Darren Williams, Luther head teams who made the final yeah. four and lost to Carolina in the title game. 2005. Funny, I think, like, right? yeah. yeah, I think it was. I, I was really into that. Um, and I know we're going to sort of talk about my history with that, uh, with gambling later. Um, I'll circle back to that, but it has to do with a, a post 2005 Illinois loss that uh, really devastated <laughs> me as like a late middle schooler, early high schooler. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so I sort of watched college and NBA all growing up, and I eventually go to Butler. Um, this is I get there right after they make both Final Fours, so I get really into it then. Uh, I start writing for Bleacher Report back when they took like college contributors, and that's sort of how I got my start in the writing industry. Um, so I'm writing for them all throughout college, eventually get hired by Turner as an MBA.com intern, uh, but they also have the NCAA.com property. So after I graduated, uh, I signed on there and became one of their lead uh, college basketball writers. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been really, I've been covering it pretty closely for the, for the past four years, but sort of had some uh, random teams that I supported before then. And then, and then what about now? I know you're you're obviously still writing about you're working at Bet Chicago Bet Indiana News, but you also are you're still writing for NCAA, right? Yeah. So I guess so. The past four years, I worked there full time. Uh, recently made the switch, as you know, to go part time with Bet Chicago and part time with uh, NCAA Digital. Um, I'm not doing as much writing now for them. Actually, I'm more of like a general site editor. Uh, to sort of leave the, the college basketball columns to the full timers, but uh, I've been following it really closely for the past four years. Um, and it's still still do now, obviously, but maybe not with a quite quite the same intensity because it's sort of broadened my scope a bit. So, in terms of sports betting, um, I guess like you know when you want to tell the listeners like when you you started and your favorite sports to bet, how how long you've been betting, and and tell that story, that Illinois story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it starts as a it's a crucial moment. I always tell people I I in my life I've sort of had a on again, offer again, relationship with betting. It's been good to me at certain points it's been bad to me at certain points. I mean, it doesn't really make me unique, but uh, I have like stopped at, at certain periods, but I think it was late in high school. My older brother is really into it and still is. Um, and it was the year was 2008. And I'm looking now, that's what I, I started my first account and I did really well. I think I was having some beginner's luck and I got up, I was maybe betting like five, 10 bucks a game. Cause you know, I didn't have any money, uh, but I was, I was up. And March rolls around and Illinois is really bad by this point. And I was an Illinois fan. Um, and just like, they just couldn't win a game all year. They were, they had a losing record going into the big 10 tournament. They were playing Purdue in the big 10 tournament. Purdue was really good that year, had about 25 wins. Um, and they were 13, I believe point favorites and over Illinois. And I just took the money line. I think I bet like all $400 I had scrapped all year to win. Uh, and just put money line in. I don't know how much would have won probably, you know, like a free couple of lunches at Subway, which is what I was into back then. Uh, <laughs> needless to say, uh, the line the I pulled through won in overtime, and I was just absolutely <laughs> devastated. Uh, and luckily, I mean, it's probably a good thing I didn't I didn't have any money to bet, but I, I kind of stopped for a while then. Uh, got back into it in college. Um, did fairly well, but eventually sort of lost interest. And then I guess the past few years, um, I've – Sort of like so. One of my buddies at Turner, he's now one of the main gambling social guys at Bleach Report. So me and him have sort of gotten really into it and would have trade picks and stuff. Um, I'd say basketball, both levels, college and NBA, is sort of my my specialty. I feel like I lose more money on football, but I still will bet it. But basketball is sort of where I found a little bit of a niche and feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you on the college basketball. I mean, college basketball is the softest mm-hmm. markets out there, especially the smaller conferences. Right. 
you know, you know, people mm-hmm. that are looking to bet those big games, those, you know, those champions classic games where the, the lines are, you know, they've been sharpened out over time. Uh, but right. the college, you know, the college, I, I love it. It's my personal favorite sport as well. So this is going to be an awesome conversation we're going to have here because it seems like we both are simpatico on, on basketball being our number one. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So it's interesting. I almost feel like, I, Oh God. No, 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 no. You, you take it. I was going to say, I'm sure we'll touch on this because we're talking a little bit of NBA and college. I do love both. I almost feel like they're like almost different sports in my opinion. Like they're both basketball, but I just, I treat them so much differently. And to me, it's like such a different viewing experience. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like they're both my children and I love them in different ways. But I love them just as much. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense to me. I hear you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's like NBA watching those games. And then you turn on a college game, like, you know, watch like back and forth. It's, the especially those smaller conference games, you know, we're not watching any future professional players. It's a stark contrast. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing the difference, and, and that that lends itself to crazier end game situations. You know, you get college kids being college kids, and I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was starting out, that I was ripping my hair out for some of the decision making <laughs> of college kids. And, and it's going to happen this year too. I mean, just the, the end game shenanigans that go down. You got a kid who's, you know, his team's up by thirty points, and they get the ball you know, 10 seconds left and he, you know, drives in for a layup. You, you can't predict that stuff. So sometimes you can't handicap mm-hmm. freshmen in college, you know, these 18 year old kids who are, you know, their friends are, are making, you know, making those crazy $400 bets on, on money lines and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, that's it, what makes it fun. And, yeah. It, yeah, it's a different animal for sure. But, um, so mm-hmm. like in, in terms of your, of your MBA, I mean, it, I'm assuming you're, you're a big bulls fan cause you're, you know, a local guy and stuff like that. But, uh, do you have any thoughts on the NBA season so far this year, the way it's playing out? I mean, the Warriors right now are it's it's pretty nuts. I mean, they're <laughs> yeah. obviously the Warriors are the Warriors are terrible. It's funny because like I, I've covered college basketball so much in the past four years, and I look at their starting lineup and they got guys like Eric Pascal and Jordan Poole, and I'm like, oh, these guys were really good college players, but like we're not really at NBA draft boards, uh, and <laughs> here they are starting for the Warriors. Um, I think in general, it's just really fun. Like there's, there's like a good seven, eight teams that can win the title. And it's funny. Cause like I talked to my friends and they all know that I'm like a big NBA guy and the common criticism the past four years, which I think is fair is like, it's just going to be Cavs warriors mm-hmm. or whoever, I guess last year was fun. It was warriors Raptors, but now it's just, I feel like there's a good seven, eight teams who could win it. Um, both LA teams are a ton of fun. I just feel like there's a ton of, ton of really good storylines. And I think it's, it's been a lot of fun already this year and it's going to continue to be. I agree. I know it's like finally the first past few years, like you said, you know, you're laying like minus 200 on the warriors to win the title before the season even tips off. And like, no, and that was like a value play to it, but like now it's wide open. I mean, you right. got, there's no odds on favorite. You got the players a little more scattered about. I mean, obviously we still have a very deep Western conference, but then you have teams on the East too. I mean, the, the Sixers, the way they're looking um, and the Greek freak in Milwaukee, he's putting up historic numbers and everything. So it's, I'm really liking it just like how there's a lot more parody seemingly. And like you said, there's still only seven or eight teams that have a real chance, but, mm-hmm. but it's fine. You know, it's refreshing to finally be in this situation in the NBA. Yeah. I was even, I was even doing a, uh, like a futures piece, I think before the season and I was going through each team and I think the jazz were like 18 to one to mm-hmm. win it all. I'm like the jazz could win it all. Yeah. Like it's, that's not crazy. They won over 50 games last year and added Mike Conley. And I don't think they will, but I mean, but like, I just think it's cool that that a team like that actually has a, a chance to win for once. Cause so, so common, like the discussion is like, Oh sure. They got Mike Conley, but like the Warriors, they have Durant, Thompson, Curry, <laughs> green, like no one's beating them, but that doesn't really exist this year. So I think it's just, 
it opens things up like the, the standard to be the champion this year. I don't think it's as high. And I, I mean that as a positive. Like, I, I don't think, you know, it took a ton of unfortunate injuries for somebody else to win it last year. And I'm glad that I don't think that's going to be the case in uh, 2020. Oh, yeah. I totally agree with your, your take on, on Utah. That was, that was one of my biggest preseason win total bets. I think 53 and a half, 52 and a half. Um, because I, I just I really like their their chances of finishing top two. Maybe they could even win the Western Conference. So, you know, obviously the Lakers have something to say about that. But um, no, I, I really have a good good feeling about that team as well. Very well coached and stuff. But let's let's backtrack to college because we jumped to NBA. We should touch more on college here. Uh, mm-hmm. The college season just started out this week on Tuesday, and we had 148 games on the first day, the first slate. I got zero sleep the night before. And you know, it was exciting, but there's so much coming at us at, at once. And it was obviously highlighted by the, the Champions Classic on Tuesday night. We had Duke. The, the line move on that game was pretty crazy because Duke was you know, sitting two over mm-hmm. Kansas. And then uh, tons of Kansas money came in. It moved them to two-point favorites. I even saw two-and-a-halves out there at one point. But it seemed like that's the team everyone mm-hmm. was on. Kansas, Duke ended up pulling that one out. And then in the other game, Kentucky – upset slight upset over Michigan state and that one, it was a similar spread as well. Kentucky was catching three before tip off, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? I know you said that you, you watched some of those games and do you think that like a, you know, having those top teams square off um, in the first, on the first day of the year is, is a good idea for college basketball? Is it like, does it serve as a good opening day, so to speak? So, yeah, I think it's a great idea in theory. Um, I don't know if you saw the games though. They were, the first one especially was kind of trash. Sloppy. Like turned it over. So sloppy. 20. And it makes yeah. sense, right? Like these, most of these teams are full of freshmen. Um, it's their first game. It's on a huge stage. Like I would expect nothing less. So I do think it's, I think it's way better than when college basketball, they open on like a Friday night and would just kind of have some blah matchups. So I, I do think it's good in terms mm-hmm. of marketing. I just, it is unfortunate. I just don't really think it's, I think it's kind of unavoidable. Like the games are going to be inherently sloppy. I thought Michigan state Kentucky was a little more watchable and I just, you know, I thought the MSG was a great atmosphere and it's just fun to see all these huge recruits for the first time. Like you hear about them, but this is the first time I really saw them all out there. Um, but like, I think it'd be foolish to not admit that the game, uh, yeah, they weren't the most watchable. I, I was like going, I watched a couple of NBA games that night too. And it's just like, I can't like toggle back and forth because like, these are just, <laughs> one one of these is like art and the other is gosh i don't know what it was a trash fire but uh it was i still had fun with it uh actually ended up getting taking duke uh after that line movement and winning so that was nice same same yeah two and a half i, <laughs> I didn't watch it i don't really like, like duke this year i just i was like it's just i couldn't you know no right it's like a it's hard like you said back to the whole freshman thing you know it's hard and that was the big angle why all the money came in on kansas because they have those, mm. you know, those veteran bigs as a and then you got Carry and the freshman Duke, you know, front court. Obviously, everyone thought that'd be a huge mismatch, but I think they people didn't quite take into account the the back courts and and Tyus Jones yeah. and his experience that he brings. So, um, but obviously, that was still a close game. It could have pretty much went either way down the stretch, but Duke pulled it yeah. out because I, I know there was there was seesaw on a bit there. There was a point where Duke was up by quite a bit, but then Kansas made a run. They were up by like you know, they, they had like a seven point lead or something like that with with like five minutes left or something. Right, and it's weird because the bet cash, I guess, for both of us, that said, like, for the rest of the season, I feel better. I don't know about you. I feel better about Kansas than I did entering the game and kind of uh, maybe mm-hmm. the same about Duke. Like, Kansas turned it over 28 times in a 40-minute game. That's, like, really hard to do. <laughs> and just, like, watching the game in the first half, I was like, oh, crap. Like, I, I just thought, can't, like, Kansas looked like the better team. And 
I think they are. I just think they're mm-hmm. they're more experienced. They're just bigger. It's what sort of stood mm-hmm. out to me about Duke is like outside of Cassius Stanley, who like has a higher vertical than Zion, which is crazy. But the rest of them, I just crazy. I wasn't really impressed with any of the ind- individual talent. Like Trey Jones is obviously a really good point guard, but I, he's not. You know, he's a distributor. He's not really the number one option type. And so I was happy that the Duke bet cash, but it's just start, such a stark contrast watching this Duke team versus the RJ Zion cam freak show of last year. Right. It's like, they don't even have like a go-to to your point, like a go-to scorer in those, mm-hmm. in the crunch type moments. I mean, they pulled it out, but I was thinking that too, when, when they were having you know, the last final two or three minutes of that game, like who are they going to give the ball to? And, you know, they figured it out and everything, but it's, I think that might end up being one of their Achilles heels later on in the season when they, when they play better competition. We'll see it soon. Cause they, they got a pretty tough schedule. I think they play, at uh, at Michigan State pretty soon, if I'm not mistaken. So that'll be a good one to watch. Yeah, for sure. In terms of like veterans mixed with freshmen, but that Duke team is also different this year, just because there's there's a little bit more of a veteran presence. Obviously, you Tyus Jones, who's just a sophomore, but that extra year of experience is key. And then you have some returning big men. You know, obviously, I don't know what your thoughts are on um, on the Aussie um, Jack White, but <laughs> but he's, here's uh, what I think about Jack White. I, I think that, uh, I don't know how to put this. I think he's just like, he has deceived the rest of the country into thinking he's a good shooter. And I think it's just because he looks like a shooter, but he really can't. Like if I was playing against him, I would just leave him open all day. I think it wasn't last year. He missed some like 27 straight threes. and Yeah, and it was he, a he does, crazy stretch. Right. And he does some things well. I just, I also think it's just like, oh, this guy's a shooter, but he's just not. And kind of, I don't know if I were, if I were an opposing coach, I would just let him jack all day. Actually, I really like Alex mm. O'Connell. I think he's underrated and can give him some good stuff. This I agree, yeah. He's more athletic than people think, and he's got a really quick release. I've actually been saying this for a few years. I thought he should have been like the fifth guy in the starting lineup of the – It's kind of they all jumbled together. I think it was the Bagley, Carter, Grayson Allen team. I thought he should have got more minutes then. Mm-hmm. I think they could have used him last year during stretches too, but they would go with guys like Delorier and White. And, and they're – you know, they – they have some positive traits, but I, I think O'Connell could be a guy to watch this year. I agree. He's deceptively athletic. Like you said, even this last mm-hmm. game, he had a couple drives in the basket. Like, whoa, what are you doing? But then he, you know, he, he gets it in there. He's got decent athletic ability for, for a guy his size. So I, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, I forget what I was going to say about something about that game. But anyway, Duke and the other game, Kentucky, and obviously they, they beat Michigan State with the upset. Do you, did you watch that one as well? Yeah, I did. And I, I mean, it's easy to say now, but I thought Kentucky was the most impressive team of the four. Um, Tyrese Maxey was really good. He had like Unreal. 26 points. <laughs> yeah. And that backcourt's nasty with uh, Quickly and Hagens. And if, if Maxey's going to do that, I mean, they just, to me, they look like the most athletic team. And Calipari is always good at coaching defense. So if they have a guy who could take over games like Maxey, that's going to be really valuable. Um, I'm just kind of struggling with Michigan State this year because, like, I totally get why they're the number one team. Like I would have them as the number one team uh, going in, but I just keep thinking back to, I think I was burned by them like two years ago because I have this theory that like Tom Izzo, he seems to outperform expectations. Like last year, they weren't supposed to be that great. And they get to a final four the year before that. I don't know if you remember, their starting lineup was something like Nick Ward, Jaron Jackson, Miles Bridges, Josh Langford, Cash Swinston. Like that is nuts. Like that is such a good right, team. Right. And they, I think they bowed out in like a sweet 16 and were pretty disappointing all year. And Izzo was doing weird stuff, like barely playing Jared Jackson in some games. And 
I don't know. I mean, I'd probably have to flesh this theory out, but it's, I just, I don't see Michigan state winning at all. I feel like Izzo is the type of coach who generally overperforms when his players aren't expected to do that much. But like when he actually has the best team in the country, they'll still be really good. I just, I personally have some trepidations about picking them to win it all. I agree with you there. I just think it's a spot where they could be a little overrated to start the season. And I think that another mm-hmm. thing that people are overlooking is the, the value of McQuaid to the defense. Cause he left mm-hmm. after last year and he was kind of like, and like an unsung, not hero, but like a piece of that defense that I, I think they're going to sorely miss this year, but expectations are high with them. I still think, you know, obviously they will be right in the picture in the big 10 and, and down the stretch in March, and you can never discount Izzo in March, but I agree with you. I think it's one of those spots where probably someone else is going to be cutting down the nets come come April 6th in Atlanta, but we mm-hmm. shall see. Yeah, it's like, I get it. I get, like, why they're, like I said, I would have them as number one team, too. I just, you're giving, I mean, maybe it's obvious, but, like, if you're telling me Michigan State or the field, give me the field all day. Oh, all day, all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about your, because you're, obviously you said you're a Butler grad. Tell us about your Butler team. I saw they covered their first game against, I believe, yeah. was it UEPUE, I think? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. And uh, Butler, by the end of the game, had six eligible players, and one of which they had to burn a red, red shirt for. Uh, they were like four guys injured. Kamar Baldwin, their best player, got injured in the first five minutes. And another guy tore his ACL in the first half. So uh, it was actually pretty impressive that they covered so easily. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. They had so like, yeah, they'd, they ended the game with six healthy players and one of which they had to burn a red shirt for. But I think I wrote something the other day. I think this team is talented by Butler standards. It's just that Butler fans rightfully are, are spoiled by having Chris Holtman and Brad Stevens as two of their coaches for the past right. 15 years. And, and coaching is obviously so important in college basketball. And you see, like, Chris Beer bringing Texas Tech to the final four last year at the national title game. And I think Holtman and Stevens, like I think Holtman's an awesome coach, maybe not on Stevens level, but I think he's really good. And like, he's gotten a lot mm-hmm. of, out of Ohio state teams that I don't think that much of on paper. Um, so they have just, yeah, I, I, I don't, I question if Laval Jordan is going to be able to do the same. I think he might be like a replacement level coach right now, which maybe can fly at some programs. So like for a Butler team that doesn't recruit, to the level of a Villanova or a Seton Hall in the Big East. There's a reason Vegas is pretty down on them. I think Butler was like the second least likely team to win the conference this year. But in terms of roster, like I think it's pretty good. And it's just a huge year for Laval Jordan because while he shouldn't be held to a Stevens or Holtman standard, I do think it's fair to expect more than, you know, Butler's gotten got last year and the year before that. So we'll see. I mean, how much Chicago sports teams are so bad. I have a little bit of hope that Butler can outperform expectations, but um, you know, not a not betting the four hundred one k on it. <laughs> were, were you there uh, during the Stevens runs, like with the back to back title game champion? Were you at school there? No, so I, I actually got there the I got there the year see twenty ten twenty eleven. That's when they made it, and I I was a freshman in the fall of twenty eleven. Oh. So I got there right after he left. He left after my sophomore year. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> was that a reason why you went to Butler I though? I mean, <laughs> it was probably a pull. It, yeah. Yeah. Actually. I was uh, I was going to be a baseball walk-on, actually, but I uh, ended up getting hurt and wasn't able to. But that's sort of why Butler was on my radar, yeah. And it was pretty close to home. Yeah, I feel like I would have been the same way if I was your age. I would have been looking to, to go to a good basketball school like that, the local, you know, close enough to home and everything. It just made a lot of sense. But, yeah, that Butler, I fell in love with that team. And quick, another sidebar here. Whatever happened mm-hmm. to Marcus Howard – or not Marcus Howard. Oh, God. Whatever his name is, Howard. You know, the, Matt Howard. Matt Howard, yeah. What, did he, Matt Howard? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know what he's doing now. I know he played overseas for a while. Um, I do remember my, on my visit to Indianapolis to go to Butler, I was like walking around campus and it's like 12 degrees in January. And I see Matt Howard just riding his bike through the snow with like no hat on, like his practice gear. And I'm just like, oh man, I got to go. This place is great. That's so uh, awesome. Yeah, that guy's, that guy's a legend. That, dude, I would have to check in on what he's doing now. but That story, oh my God, that's like the most Matt Howard of stories I've ever heard. That's amazing. I could totally picture that. Yeah. That's, he's totally that guy. Right, it was awesome. And yeah, I know he played for a couple of years and like, or overseas and like his tweets will show up in my timeline sometimes, but I'm not totally sure what he's up to these days. That guy's footwork was some of the best college basketball footwork I've ever seen because he, mm-hmm. he was, I mean, he was definitely undersized for a big, but he always had, he had such a nice touch around the basket too. And I think he was, I mean, obviously yeah, both hands yeah, yeah. like back to back years to the national title. And I remember like he had a buzzer beater early on in one of those tournaments that saved their ass, like pretty much he yep. sent him there and, you know, maybe the story's not the same if that shot doesn't go in, but he was really, I mean, obviously Gordon yeah. Hayward was, you know, a special, you know, generational, the best player in Butler history, but, but you get a guy like Howard, I think he was really the glue on those teams. So Yeah. And he was on, Hayward was only on the first team right. when he went to the NBA. Right. Howard was, yeah. Howard was on both uh, final four teams. And I remember, cause that was when like I was a high school senior. So I knew I was going to Butler. So by <laughs> then I was like, you know, I, I wasn't there yet, but I was all in and, yeah, Howard, I think it was against Old Dominion, had that tip in yep. uh, to win the game of the first round, and then they ended up going all the way and playing in one of the worst uh, national championship games so ever bad. against UConn. But, hey, <laughs> still take it. It was kind of like last night's Virginia-Syracuse game. Yes, I know. Yeah, so about that one. So that's, that's a perfect segue. Um, I, I was looking at that game, cool. and, like, obviously, like, Syracuse, it's you know they, they're losing um, a battle. I believe last year they just relied on – they totally leaned on him to put points in and and I don't think they replaced him this year in terms of you know offensive production. But I was interested to see, you know, Virginia, how they'd be without Kyle Guy. And then, now I remember what I was going to say before. Quick sidebar. Kyle Guy I, uh, hurt for Duke. Every time I – were you – when you were watching that game, did you see a lot of Kyle Guy and, and hurt from Duke? I don't think they just look similar or something, but I don't know. I kept, every time I, I saw him on the TV, hmm. I kept doing like a double take thinking that he was Kyle Guy, but do you mean like their style of play or like their, yeah, no, just the way they look, not their style of play. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I consider, I'll have to look closer because I saw him play it. Like I didn't really see it, but uh, I'll say, yeah, now that I think about it, it could have just been me. I'll definitely keep tapping. That. But anyways, I was, so yeah, that's, I meant to talk about that before, but and hurt. I also, I like his game. He seems like he could be like a four year guy at Duke, or at least he's come out and said, cause he, he like grew up a Duke fan. Mm-hmm. So he could be that, that next like annoying, Duke player that just drills threes, you know, like your prototypical Duke player of the past. But anyway, back to Syracuse and Virginia. I was interested in seeing Virginia without without Kyle Guy and, and Jerome on the roster and everything, how they how they look and and that game. Oh my god! Like Syracuse, obviously they didn't, they weren't able to to solve anything. I think they put up what thirty eight total points in that one last night, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. It's. I think I was telling some people before the year. I. I have no desire to watch Virginia this year, but like I'm buying Virginia stock. I just feel like I don't even care who's on the team. I know they they lost Hunter, Jerome, Guy. Like that's really hard to replace. But I, I normally don't. I generally take underdogs. That's just sort of my philosophy. But like last night, I took Virginia minus three, and it was really just checking on my phone. It seemed like there was really no doubt. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm I'm glad I didn't watch the game, but I just. I guess I've said it on this podcast already. I just think coaching is so big in college basketball and I'm generally just going to take Tony Bennett, Chris Beard, Chris Holtman teams 
Um, I don't think they're going to win it all again, but I, I, I'm sure we'll look up in early March and Virginia is going to be contending for an mm. ACC title. No, I know it's like the system. I don't know what it is, but they, they, it's the peck line defense. It just causes teams, gives teams fits. Um, mm. But yeah, no, that was, that was a surprising result last night. I mean, I thought you know, going into it, I was like, you know, where's the offense going to come from for Syracuse, but 38 points, dear Lord. Uh, what are your thoughts <laughs> cool. on like the ACC, you know, they, they debuted the ACC network this year and an ACC tipped off their conference play. They're, they're moving to a 20 game conference slate. And we saw them, I think they had seven games the first two nights already up in the conference. What, what are your thoughts on that? On tipping off with conference games in the ACC right off the bat? I know the big 10, uh, you know, they kind of tinkled, they, they, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They tinkered with that. Tinkered, yeah. Um, yeah, tinkered. Yeah. They tinkered with that recently. And, and I don't know if I liked it as, as a big 10 fan, just because they played like one game and then waited until January. But what are your right. thoughts on ACC kick it off early? Yeah. I, just from like a, a betting slash watching perspective, I like it. I mean, there's just better, there's higher quality early season matchups than usual. Um, College basketball has done a little bit better job the past few years of giving us something to work with, I guess, in November. But um, I don't know. Like, I look up, and there's actually quality games every night. So that's fun. I will say, like, sort of back to a previous point of just, like, early season college basketball tends to be sloppy. I do, like, kind of feel for these teams because they're still figuring themselves out, and it's nice to have some maybe cream puff opponents to do that against. Mm -hmm. Instead, you know, Florida State's going up against Pittsburgh and Syracuse going up against Virginia. That's really hard to work out any of the kinks. So may not be the best, like for those teams, long-term outlook, but I don't know, I guess just from a fan's perspective, I'm, I'm enjoying it because there's <laughs> more content. No, yeah. How about you? No, no, I totally agree. I mean, just from a fan's perspective, you get big, two good teams going up against each other early on, but I don't know. It's like, I'm kind of toward like the basketball purist in me, you know, wants to see a lot of things stay the same way, but I'm also down to, to spread it out more. I know that there's some other conferences that are tinkering with the system where, you know, like the, the forgetting that word, but it's like a blocked system where you, you know, you have like conference games every, every certain period of time, every, every few weeks or something like that. But, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I feel like conferences will get it right eventually. And I know ACC, they, they wanted to debut the new network and, and, and kind of focus in on that. So I, I'm fine with it. It just, like you said, it gives us more content, more games to handicap, but it really sucks for those, you know, those freshman laden teams, you know, against that are unfortunately matched up against a more veteran team. You know, you're playing a meaningful game and your, your, your first game in, in your college career. And I think that could be a huge disadvantage for some, for some programs. Right. And I feel like as a neutral observer, I like it. If I had any, if I was like a Syracuse fan or whatever, or, obviously involved with the program i would hate it so that's sort of, sort of where i stand on it <laughs> so one of my favorite handicapping angles at the beginning of the college basketball season is is playing on teams that have, have had european trips you know taking long extended trips over the summer um you know it's it just gives the teams more time to bond together and you know the coaches that those european teams that they go up against are always for the most part they're they're very well organized well disciplined teams they're good uh, matchup for these college teams when they go out there and and coaches i think it's a, a great idea to go out you know to, to italy or or spain and get some of that experience with your players but i think the most underlooked thing is is the ability for the, the players and the coaches to bond together you know there there's no temptations to you know not your normal temptations at least that you have back at home when when the semester's starting or you know before the semester starts in the summertime but you know taking that trip to italy and and bonding and learning each other's tendencies and everything is 
is a good angle. I like to play on those teams because I think that they're a little more polished at the start of the year. Not necessarily the first game because a lot of these teams are playing, you know, that, that easy, you know, easy cupcake schedule at the start of the year just to, to kind of get to break things in. But I think that really comes into play on some of these early holiday tournaments. I don't know. Is that something that you've looked at in the past as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it just makes sense. Like in a college basketball, I think more than any other sport, it just deals with so much turnover every year. And I think mm-hmm. anything you can do to try to, you know, mitigate that, whether it's a, I guess it could be a disadvantage for most teams, but I think that's smart. And I guess it makes sense because like you look like you look at the preseason AP polls and how many teams is just like, they have six out of seven returning scores. And even if they weren't like that great the year before, they're going to be pretty high in the AP poll. So I think anything teams can do like um, off season trips overseas to sort of, you know, get ahead of the curve in terms of continuity or in terms of gelling and learning each other's tendencies or whatnot. I think that's huge. So I think that's really smart to look at. Right. I agree with that. If teams can pull it off, it's, it's always a good move and you're not, Mm -hmm. you're not tiring guys out or anything like that. And it's not a foolproof thing too, obviously like Illinois being a great example. Uh, I wrote, I'm very high on, on the fighting Illini this year. I wrote an article on them for our sites and they, they needed overtime to beat Nichols state at home. And they, they took a trip out to Italy in the summer. So it just shows that, you know, there's no foolproof system, but I, I still think maybe long-term or at least medium term Illinois struggling out, out of the gate in that game, at least down the stretch. I think they were, they had a comfortable lead the whole full time, but I think that could maybe change the market perception on them a bit to open up a few more opportunities in the betting market mm-hmm. on them early on. That's, that's definitely a team I've circled to, to play on in these more meaningful December games that are coming up in, in late November. Yeah, I can see that for sure. So I don't know, do you have any more thoughts on college before we jump over to the NBA really quick? I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to, to touch on. Hmm. Like, yeah, I think that's about it. I uh, wanted to touch on Champs Classic and a couple other random teams. So no, I think I'm all good. Cool. So NBA-wise, obviously we're underway. We touched on it briefly before. Um, our, our Chicago Bulls, man, I'm, I'm so torn on this. I, I saw a lot of people that were – they were kind of into the the idea of their season win total going over. I think it, it was it was bet up to like thirty three and a half, something like that. But not a great start for for Boylan and the boys. But what, what's your diagnosis for the Chicago Bulls moving forward? It's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like it's obviously been a discouraging start, but I think it's really frustrating because like you'll see them play super well in stretches. Like even in that Lakers game the other night. They, they were dominating for three quarters and just totally blew it. And that's happened a couple times already this year. Um, like, I, I like the roster. That's the weird part. Like, marketing hasn't really played well, but there's a lot of guys I like. I, I, Wendell Carter's been really good. Porter, Otto Porter's starting to play better. Um, Kobe White's been kind of a roller coaster, but you expect that from a 19-year-old. Like, he clearly he is fast as hell and can score from all three levels. And I'm happy with the pick, even though he's been up and down. Um, Levine's just going to be Levine. He's going to put up 25 point games and maybe not be the guy who you want taking, you know, control, making all the decisions in the fourth quarter. So the roster itself, I think is in decent shape. Um, just, just not a boiling fan. Um, a lot of questionable rotations, a lot of questionable quotes. Like he just doesn't seem like a fun guy to play for. Like Mm -hmm. he treats his players like they're sophomores in high school. I feel like with the whole, time clock thing that they have to punch in and out every day it's like you really picture Zach Levine just like oh cool I get to punch in and out every day like I just just I I just don't think that would be super enjoyable but um discouraged so far they had a really good game last night I think there's talent there and I wouldn't write them off yet um 
But it's just frustrating because I feel like with just a decent coach, like I'd, I'd kill for Fred Hoiberg back right now. Like he wasn't great in Nebraska, just had a terrible <laughs> loss in the college ranks. But like, Sorta. I feel like he was competent. I feel like Hoiberg was competent. And I just question, I, it's harsh, but like I really question Jim Boylan competence in the 2019 NBA. <laughs> so oh, I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I mean, it's it, it, I, it comes from the top, obviously, with guard packs. And this is nothing. Mm-hmm. We're not breaking news here. Out of frustration right. as Bulls fans with the upper management. But it all starts with them. They're the ones that are putting Boylan in there. And it almost seems like they're reactionary to a lot of things. But they're also stuck in their ways. And, and to your point on Boylan, you know, not – it, it just seems like he's they're not embracing analytics in the way they should be, and other teams are starting to leave them in the dust. I mean, I'm not saying they should go full on warriors and stuff, but that's that's the way yeah. I want my 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 Chicago Bulls uh, team to look. I mean, it's they, they did a good job of like revamping the facilities and making it more appealing, I guess, for players. That maybe in theory that can help attract some big free agents down the line, but still, who's going to want to come play with this team? I, I I know that like they're building through the youth and everything, and but I just with everything in the in the management and, and gar packs, I could just see, you know, no, we haven't seen any big names really come. You know, Paul Gasol was mm-hmm. like the last big kind of name to, to join the Bulls via free agency, and and uh, that's my big worry. I just think that there's not much of a of a push or a, or like a it, it's not intriguing to to come play with this Bulls team right now, especially with with the management and the coaching staff. Yeah, I guess on a I agree with all that. On a slightly more optimistic note, like. I was kind of thinking about this with the Bears, actually, where I thought like last year, even in their losses, they were close losses and like they looked really good at certain points of them. Like week one against the Packers, like they were up 20 to nothing and totally blew it. And while that was super frustrating, like they eventually, they showed they were a really good team that year and went 12 and four. And so for the Bulls in previous years, like last year, they just had no shot. Like at no point did I think they were a team that could ever make the playoffs or do anything of note. And this year they have already... So they're three and six, which is obviously bad, but they were up by like 20 against the Lakers in the second half. They were handling the Knicks suck, but they were handling the Knicks all game before they let them go in like a 14 over run to lose. And they were up on the Hornets in opening night um, by like 10 before they lost. And obviously you can't do this, but like you reverse those three outcomes. We're talking about a six and three team and they're not a six and three teams. They don't deserve that billing. They're, you know, the results are the results, mm-hmm. but like I do see the flashes of, something here um we'll see if and i i guess that's why my frustration is mostly with boiling because i feel like stuff like that is coaching like you just don't see teams mm-hmm. give up like 20 over like the lakers game i don't know if you saw it but it was like five minutes within five minutes the the bulls were handling you know arguably the best team <laughs> in the nba and then they're then they don't even cover they barely cover the spread it was like seven and right. i guess it's a long-winded oh. way of saying like i do see like there there are moments where this team looks really good and it's a low bar, but like that's more than I can say for both teams in the past couple of years. No, oh, yes, I agree. Like there is optimism, and, and you've, you have guys like like Laurie to build around, and and Wendell Carter. You know, the pieces are there to build around, so it's just a matter of getting the right guy in there to help develop the players. And I completely agree that Boylan is is not that guy, and yeah. I think it's a situation where if things go south, which I, I don't know what the expectations are uh, for the end of this, the year in the front office, but you know we could be looking at you know, a new coach next year, kind of going through the whole process again with these young guys. And I'd rather them just, you know, they, they, they wouldn't pick a lane a few years ago. They finally did pick a lane and went for the rebuild. But I just want to see like a clear direction, a clear coach in there to get excited about. And that's just not the case right now. But. Yeah. I guess sort of my last thought on that, 
it's frustrating because all the good things I said, they didn't have to give Jim Boylan a contract extension. Like nobody was coming to get Jim right. Boylan. They could have let him coach out this year as a lame duck. Like I know that has a negative connotation, but like, whatever. No, <laughs> he's not going to get hired by anyone else. He's lucky to be a head coach in the NBA. Instead, they give him three more years. So right. like, exactly. Uh, I mean, you're, they still could very well get rid of him and go with someone else, but like, it's going to make it harder because they have three years of guaranteed money right now, which they didn't have to do, but they, they chose to extend him for God knows what reason in the off season. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> what, like, what did he do? Like, what did he show that, that yeah. warranted that? I, I just, yeah. like, why I, is even, I get getting him a raise. Like I get giving him like a one year raise, like to be on the same level as other head coaches. Like that's fine. But the three years thing, is just, it's just <sighs> inexcusable. Yeah. No, I agree. It drives me nuts, man. I'm sure we'll be people mm-hmm. in Chicago will be bitching about that. You know, come, come springtime when we're eyeing another year For of sure. that guy. But, uh, so let's finish up. You, you wrote an article today on the NBA MVP. Yeah. So it was kind of, I, I didn't really know what the odds were until I looked today. just wanted to see if there's any good value plays. And I actually think LeBron is like the best value. He's, um, he's fifth on the list at plus 800. So eight to one. I think he's behind, let's see, Giannis is first, rightfully so. Then it's Harden, Davis, Kawhi. And I sort of in the piece broke down like the case for LeBron. Again, it's only seven games in, but he's putting up classic LeBron numbers, like 26, 8, and 11. But the difference is that, A, he's on a really good team this year, or it seems like it. The Lakers are 6-1. and one. They have the best defense in the NBA right now. Um, a fair criticism of LeBron is that he hasn't really played defense in, like, I don't know, half a decade until, like, the NBA Finals. But he seems to be, like, really dialed in defensively this year, which is probably the biggest reason why he deserved heavy consideration in my opinion he he has the lowest defensive rating himself he has in a long time and like a lot of defense is subjective you just look he's closing out with some ferocity he's he's not subject to those shacked in a fool bloopers that we've seen um on defense and just like flat out not trying so that's nice um and i think he just has a good narrative like there are people saying that LeBron just went to LA, you know, this off season, like to build his brand, to do space jam too. And that like winning wasn't really the most important thing, but it's again, it's only seven games in, but like that, he seems like he heard all that noise and it's determined to shut it up. And if LeBron wants to win the MVP, I think LeBron can win the MVP. I think the past few years, he's, you know, perhaps rightfully been focused on June and saving his legs for then. But I think, you know, he sort of seems to have changed course there. And I think it's a better case. I'm not going to say it's a better case than Giannis right now, but the other three guys ahead of that, him, I think um, Harden, he's going to put up huge numbers, but I think there's just a lot of Harden fatigue. Like the guys, maybe it shouldn't impact the MVP voters' minds, but it does. Like he's not very good in the playoffs. People are starting to not really care as much about his crazy numbers. The Houston defense is like the worst in the league, giving up 120 points a game. He's obviously a big part of that. Um, Kawhi has already sat out two of eight Clippers games just for rest. And I think that's going to be a theme. Um, mm-hmm. He's kind of treating this season like LeBron has the past few where he hasn't won the MVP. Uh, I think LeBron last won in 2013. I think Kawhi, like no, good no. for him. He just won a title. Um, he should rest his legs and stuff, but I also don't think he's really just going to play enough games. He'll probably play like 60 or so. And then AD is the last one. And, 80 is obviously great, but like if you look right now, LeBron's just more valuable to the team. Like I don't, as as awesome as 80 is, he's just not going to match LeBron's distributing. Like LeBron's averaging 11 assists a game and basically playing point guard, and 
they're both going to be awesome. And I think they're both going to be able to eat. Like, I don't think one is going to cancel the other person's chances, but I think he's been the most valuable Laker thus far. And, you know, with LeBron, I think it's going to come down to like, if he ends up taking some DNP rest, doesn't really seem like he is. So he hasn't been saying he will, but I guess time will tell. But yeah, the long, long winded way of saying that I think LeBron at eight to one is a really good value bet right now. Oh yeah, I hear you. He seems like a, a man on a mission right now. And there's also something to be said right. for for Giannis already winning it last year. You know, voter fatigue, yeah, so to speak. You know, they, I think that they're they've shown a reluctance over the years to not you know want to go with the same guy unless it's just glaring. And and you know, Giannis is putting up crazy numbers and he's already breaking records to start this year. Mm. But but I, I could see that being a factor down the stretch. Unless obviously, if he keeps his foot on the gas pedal, it could be an issue. But at eight to one, I, I agree. That does seem like. Yeah. I I wrote, yeah, I wrote that I think it's, I think it's going to come down to Giannis and LeBron. Like LeBron turns 35 this year. Like that shouldn't help him win the MVP, but like, it's a, that'd be a a cool story for 35 year old LeBron James, who hasn't won an MVP since 2013, revitalizing this Lakers franchise has been such a sad sack for the last, I don't know, half decade. I've, Mm-hmm. I can see it happening for sure. Especially if they, you know, they finish first in the West or, you know, up there and right. it all kind of sets up nicely because LeBron, obviously, like you said, if he wants mm-hmm. to win the MVPs, he's just, he has the talent, obviously he's turning that program or that, not the program, the, the team around this year and, and coming back after that, that poor storyline last year. So it's definitely setting up. Um, and, and this could be mm-hmm. a great time, like you said, to get involved at, at eight to one on, on uh, LeBron. All right, so obviously we went later than we expected, which always happens here at the Doggy Juice Pod. But quickly before we go, tell tell the people about the Unathletic and, and what you're doing there, and, and where to find you on Twitter. Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, about a little over a year ago, I started a satirical sports media brand called the Unathletic. Uh, it's basically meant to be like the Onion for sports. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Unathletic HQ, and well, we're biggest on Instagram actually, which is sort of where most of my focus is just at the dot on athletic. Um, yeah, basically there's just, there's funny, I'd like to think funny sports headlines and stories um, sort of poking fun at everything that's going on in this crazy world of sports. And it's been really successful. It has tens of thousands of followers. Um, I guess the next step is trying to make some money off that darn thing, but uh, hopefully that's <laughs> in the future. But uh, for now, uh, yeah, please go follow both of those on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Um, it's been a blast and it's just something I kind of do in my spare time and sort of put my, uh, put my comedic chops out there and uh, it's been really well received so far. So it's, yeah, it's super fun and I'm really enjoying it. Dude, it's awesome. Yeah. Like I, I was not aware of it until you started working uh, with us here at Bet Chicago, but it's, it's mm-hmm. hilarious. It's part of like my daily routine now, but uh, no, I love it. It's, it's great. You got something really good there and the concept's amazing. So what was like your most popular last thing before you go? Like, do you have like any, post that yeah. kind of like went viral or like anything in particular that, that, that really put you on the map? Yeah. So, um, one sticks out from last year. I don't know if you remember, but a big, there's like a big sort of NBA petty feud, which I love. It's great for content. Um, with like Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, like sort of got in a fight mid game about like not giving KD the last shot or something. And so the next day I decided to Photoshop a Russell Westbrook Jersey onto Draymond Green and like say he wore that to practice the next day. And I, you know, I don't always know how everything's going to do. Like I thought it was pretty funny, but I was like, you know, like we'll see what happens. Sometimes I do things I think are hilarious and don't do that. Well, this I post and like, I checked my phone like an hour later and it, it has like a thousand shares on. Oh, wow. So like I would look, and like I would check like five minutes later and it had like 80 more shares 
and it got to like five, over 5,000 or something. Um, and by then, like most my fans like know that it's not real, but when it gets shared into people's like timelines, you know, I'm not a fan of fake news. I just think it's like pretty obvious it's not real, but we're right. in the discussion. But uh, so then you have people comments like, what? Like, no, he did and all this stuff. And it kind of turned into, it's like on a life of its own and got like hundreds of thousands of clicks to the website, which I never expected. Um, it's crazy. So yeah, that, that one was pretty cool. I've, I've gone like under, I mean, there have been a couple other good ones, but like that is by far uh, the one that's gotten the most traction. That's awesome. That's so cool, man. That's <laughs> It's just how that can happen too. Like you just never know what to expect right. and what's going to take off and stuff. But everyone should definitely go check that out. That's uh, and and the what's the the URL for the website? Yeah, it's theunathletic.net. Okay, got that. Got it. Cool, yeah. man. Well, that's good stuff. Yeah, sorry for running late here, but that was that was awesome stuff. Yeah, no worries. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. That was, that was some great stuff on college hoops and the NBA too. So uh, hopefully, bring you back on at some point uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. All right, dude. Go Hilltoppers. <laughs> <laughs> Go, dude. Take care. See ya. All right. Thank you very much, Joe Bizell, for coming on the podcast. That was excellent. Let's jump right into it. We have College Football Week 11 and NFL Week 10. Let's start out with College Football Week 11. This weekend's college football slate is probably the best of the year so far in terms of just sheer entertainment. We have three matchups involving top 25 teams, including the blockbuster Alabama-LSU matchup, which I'll get to last year. But the first one is Minnesota against Penn State. Saturday morning, I'm all over Minnesota here at plus seven. Markets moved down to six and a half. I was able to scoop up seven uh, mainly, most of most of my outs at minus one ten earlier in the week, and don't be surprised if this one does tick back up to seven before kickoff. Um, I think this is one of those spots where Minnesota can not only play the no respect angle, but the weather. There's this combination of reasons why I like this game. The weather's really cold over there. They're a run first defense, and and really can slow this game down. Penn State, I think, is also overrated by the betting market. This game, I have closer to about three and a half on my stuff, or like three point eight exactly. So Penn State is the better team, and you know they're going to win this game definitely more than 50 times out of 100. But catching a full touchdown with Minnesota, sprinkling some money line at that price is a no-brainer move here. Um, I also like the under 48 in this one a lot. Markets, of course, move this one to 47, 47 and a half. So I like those, but at less, and especially the first half too. If you can catch 24, I never, I've not found a 24 myself. The best I've seen is 23 and a half out there, but 24 would be a great number. But uh, 23, 23 and a half is, is fine as well. Minnesota loves to run the ball, like I said. They've, and I think a big reason for this total, they've, they've put up big points against poor teams so far this year. And then Penn State on their side of the ball, they're number one in the nation in opponent yards per rush. I expect this one to be more of just an old-fashioned Big Ten game. Um, and P.J. Fleck, the Minnesota coach, he's legit. He's really turned this program around. They've already cashed my over seven and a half season win, uh, not the win total bet. So I, I think that this is a great spot to get into play on Minnesota feeling disrespect after the, the the rankings came out for the college football playoff. They're in the high teens. Um, they, they haven't played anybody. That's the concern. But Penn State also hasn't looked that great in some of their wins as well. So Minnesota, they're going to bring great defense to this game, and the crowd's going to be really into it. The home field's going to be nuts early Saturday morning. Get me on Minnesota. Get me on that under 48, and then look to play the Penn State team total under as well. It just stands to reason that that's a good play as well. Another Big Ten dog, and this one is my Iowa Hawkeyes 
I got 10 plus 10, and that's really, to get you know down to anything sizable, I think you're really, you need a 10. But this is a low total game. It's 38, so if you can find a correlated parlay, which I did find on Iowa plus 10 and under 38, uh, certainly that's a great correlation right there. If the game goes under, there's way better chance that Iowa covers. Um, and this is a tough one to cap, and, and honestly, I don't think there's that much of an edge. You know, I got this game at about a touchdown, Wisconsin, so there's just a little bit... You know, too much market inflation in this spot. I was actually at the Iowa-Wisconsin game last year in Iowa City, and that was a brutal game for anybody that remembers it. Um, Wisconsin had lost the week prior. They, they were one of the best teams in terms of market perception heading into that. Or the week prior, they lost at home to BYU, I believe, outright. So that kind of fizzled everyone's expectations. It was a night game in Iowa City, and the Hawkeyes were covering the entire game until the very ending on a bullshit play. It was someone broke a, a running play for a touchdown that also screwed over the under. So under betters and Iowa betters got screwed over on a meaningless garbage touchdown while Wisconsin was just running out the clock. Uh, remember that one from last year. Iowa's looking for a revenge spot. These are two very excellent teams, and they're going to battle in the trenches. Uh, typical Big Ten game with, with a low total. So I just think that Iowa's a good look here. If you, you know A little bit less at plus, plus nine, you know, anything over... Eight, you know, eight or better for, for small, but it, really you need 10 points to, to really fully get involved, in my opinion, for anything substantial. So maybe wait around and, and, and obviously shop around to see if you can catch the, the full 10 points. Just a quick one here, Virginia Tech. Uh, I was able to get a full field goal plus three at home. There's certain uh, places you can go that only allow you 10 cent buys. I was I saw a plus two and a half at minus 103. I was able to get a 10 cent buy under the key number at minus 113. Virginia Tech plus three at home. <laughs> Iowa State plus 14 and a half versus Oklahoma. That's the prevailing market rate uh, right now as I'm, as I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I like this spot. And I wrote an article for this one today on Bet Chicago, Bet Indiana News. Um, I, to be honest with you, I like both these teams compared to the market, and I have all year. This game's going to feature two of the game's best young coaches in Lincoln Riley and Matt Campbell. I've been tooting Matt Campbell's horn all season long. That guy's the Iowa State coach. He's going to be uh, a big-name coach for a big-name program soon enough. You really want to buy stock in this guy. He's, he's amazing. Both these teams are coming off a buy, and both these teams are also coming off a disappointing upset loss, especially Oklahoma. And everyone's thinking Oklahoma's going to come into this game trying to run up the score to pad their college football playoff resume. And while that might be true, they're going up against a team that's also pissed off after losing their last game and has a lot to play for. So you can't like factor in motivation in this spot. Both teams are off the bye. And when you look at recent history, there's a lot of reasons to like the Cyclones here, especially since this game ticked up to north of two touchdowns. It opened at, at minus 13 in most spots and ticked up to 14.5. So I'll gladly take that, that situation where you can win when they lose the game by two Full touchdowns. Uh, Campbell is 3-0 against the spread against the Sooners. They've covered by an average of 18 points. And the Sooners have not played Brock Purdy yet. Last year, uh, the Cyclones quarterback, Brock Purdy, he didn't start. He, they didn't make the switch to him uh, until two weeks after the Oklahoma game. And, and uh, the Cyclones covered that game. They lost by 10. Uh, they were, I think they are getting 18 and a half last year in mid-September when these two teams faced off in Ames. But that was before Brock Purdy. And this is a spot where I just I think that he can give them fits. Uh, he's a dual-threat quarterback. And Iowa State, they're going to bring a lot of creative plays. They have the potential to stay in this game. And even though you know Oklahoma typically performs well towards the end of the year, I really like this spot for Iowa State to stay in the number. 
BYU, that one's down to 17 against Liberty. All the intangibles in the spot point to the Cougars, even though numbers-wise it's really close. My numbers have it really close to where it is. There was sharp money that came in on Liberty uh, after the, the opener. I think it opened 21 and a half, some spots. And I could see why some numbers guys would be on that, but BYU's really rounding into form right now. They won outright last week as a dog against Utah State. And, you know, it just makes sense when you think about it because this is a, a, a veteran team, a lot of older players. Um, a lot of guys, you know, coming back from their Mormon missions, and they're really rounding into form at the right time at the end of the year. And this is a spot where they really uh, can can do some damage um, up at altitude at home in this spot against against Liberty. So I like BYU here. Anything at minus 17 or better, lay the points with the Cougars. Another spot where I'm laying the points, but I'm a little hesitant because this is against a team that I have been playing on in the market recently. But... Um, Hawaii laying seven or better, and I think that line actually is ticking up to seven and a half today, so I'm kind of it's tempering my enthusiasm. I don't really want to play it unless you're getting a touchdown or, or giving a touchdown or less. Uh, but I think there's an over-adjustment still to San Jose State's recent results. San Jose State has been a great story this year. They've turned that program around, uh, but I think the market might be overreacting to them a little bit. Hawaii's coming off a loss, and they're hungry to win this game. Um, I may, my numbers make it you know, just or, you know, just under 10, so if you can find a 7 out there, this is one where I think it's worthy of a bet in a high-scoring game, and all San Jose State really does do is pass the ball. So uh, the total's in the high 70s, so this is a high-variance game, but this is a spot where I just like the Hawaii talent a lot better, and I think at home here in a high-scoring game, that's a good look. Alabama and LSU, per Chris Felica, Bama's been a favorite of seven or, or less only four times under Nick Saban, and they've lost three of those games outright and pushed on the other. Uh, Tua is coming back from, or is supposed to come back from only 20 days after an ankle surgery, so he's you know, supposedly not 100%, although the jury's out on that right now. This is a historically high total between these teams. I, I wrote about this one as well on the site, so check that out. But my big thing is I like... The under in this one, particularly the first half under, if you can find it at, at 31 and a half or better, is really my go price. And a full you know, position, if you can get 33 or 34 come game time, but we're, we're not going to see that, I don't think. But um, first half under in that one, 31 and a half or better between Alabama and LSU in the biggest game of the year so far in college football. All right, before I talk about NFL and the, the Week 10 card that we have this week, let's hear what our pal Danimal has to say. What is up, everybody? It's your boy Danimal, week 10, checking in from frigid, miserable, dark Chicago. And, boys, that's like my board. I've been dark the past couple weeks. It hasn't been pretty. It hasn't been bad, but trending down, not going to lie. It's time to turn it around. I, I'm working my ass off, reading as many Twitter message board posts ever, and I got some plays. And I really, really like these plays. So they're all going to win. But first, no plays on these games, but the biggest game, LSU-Bama, this weekend. I'm doing a brew crawl. So God help me that I do not live bet this game. Please don't let it happen. However, I do like Bama minus six. Uh, I don't really know why. I think two is healthy. I have a couple people down in Tuscaloosa saying he's looking fine on the practice field. I don't think LSU could stop them. I also, I don't hate the over 62. It was 65. It was bet down pretty hard by some sharps. If you want fun, 
take the over 61 if it gets down there, but I just don't see LSU being able to stop Bama if they're rolling. I mean, LSU's had close games. Texas put up a lot on them. Florida put up points. Auburn put up points. I just don't see them be able to keep this within a touchdown. Second, Minnesota, Penn State. I'm waiting for the seven. Pretty sure the juice got seven. I see six and a half right now, but I'm riding seven with Minnesota. No real reasons. Nobody's really seen them play anybody, but just give me the home dog early morning and row the damn boat. Nonetheless, my Danville locks Georgia Tech, UVA, over 45 and a half. It's my totals guy. I mean, I don't have to say anything else. This guy just gives me winners. Georgia Tech, UVA, over 45.5. Illinois, plus 14 and a half. Pretty sure the public is all over this dog. But screw Michigan State. I hate them. Hate them. Illinois keeps this within the number. The next two plays, very similar. ASU, who I despise, but you got you to gotta do what you got to do. Minus one and a half over USC. Goes in line with Oregon State, plus 10 over UW. Teams are just quitting now. USC, they're done. Helen, goodbye. They got nothing left in the tank. ASU, young quarterback, Herm, he'll have the boys playing. ASU covers. At Oregon State, Friday night, UW, dead. Dead. Big letdown this year. They got smoked by Utah. Choked that game away. They have nothing left in the tank. Oregon State, fun offense. They keep this in 10 at home. Baylor, minus 2.5 over TCU. TCU was my biggest play last week. I was right about that injury on Oklahoma State. Got in early, and TCU just fell apart. So many chances to take the lead. I had to watch this shitty game, and it was miserable. So going against TCU this week, they have no quarterbacks. Their quarterback dug in. The only quarterback on the roster got hurt last week. He's going to play, but he hurt his throwing finger, and he's hit. Their other backup got hurt on the last play. Their other backup left the program. If for some reason Dougie can't go or gets hurt mid-game, they're playing a bum. They're playing Kyle Orman out there. They're playing me and you. So I'm going to ride that. Baylor minus 2.5 over TCU. Last, Clemson minus 32 over NC State. Huge line. Hate big lines. They run the score up. Yeah, I know people will say, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter. They're going to play the same. No. They're number five. That was a slap in the face. They have NC State. Clemson has just been playing around all year. They run the score up on NC State. First half, whatever it is, take that as well. Clemson wins by 40-plus going away. NFL, hate the slate. It could not be uglier. I mean, it's just hideous. However, found a couple plays. Lions grabbing two and a half against the Bears. I don't care about anything except for the Bears are laying points. Get out of town. Give me the Lions. They've been in close games. They just haven't put it together. Lions plus two and a half. Ravens minus 10. Probably an awful spot. Beating the Pats all high. But the Bengals are that bad. I don't care. Ravens cover the 10. This is a 28-27-6-10 to to game. Ravens minus 10 over the Bengals. Let's pull it together. We're winding down. Time to ramp it back up. When I was having fun in the early parts of the year, now I'm grinding and struggling. Danimal's turning it around this week. Let's sweep the damn board. Danimal, out.
All right, thank you very much, Danimal. I agree with him on that NFL slate. It is not a pretty one this week. There's just really not much value at all on the board. And you know, part of the reason for that is there's six teams on by this week. So we just have less teams playing. We only got 13 of them, 13 matchups uh, to handicap. And it's just a weak card in terms of betting value. But where I'm looking to get involved uh, for small on the Bills plus three, I was able to get three with a little bit of, I think, minus 115. Um, definitely not more than that. But the Bills plus three, I think it's a good spot to get into play against the Browns with the Bills here. And and teasing the Bills up you know, through the key numbers of three and seven. If you are seeing a plus two and a half, tease them up in a low-scoring game. I think that they provide good value, decent enough value in this spot. And then another ugly dog I'm looking at is the Jets at home, quote-unquote home game for them. They're going up against the Giants. I would need a full three points to get involved for anything serious in this game. The Lions are catching two and a half right now. I've got them as slight favorites in this spot. Um, but I still think it's worth a, a small bet on the money line right now, maybe a split ticket on money line at around plus 115 and plus two and a half on the spread. That's a, that's a good way to look right now. And also teasing the Jets up through the three and the seven in a low-scoring game as well. This total is around 42, 43. So uh, great value, I think, in, in teasing the Jets up in the spot as well. The Giants are you know, they're not that great of a team, and, and the Jets, this is a good time to buy low on them in, in this matchup. Even though you know it's at MetLife Stadium, both teams are used to the field and and play their home games there. At the same time, the Jets, you know, they'll be utilizing the home locker room and, and you know, a little more familiar with, with the process that week, and they're the technically the home team in that spot. So I don't think the Giants are, are – well, I I, first of all, I did give the Jets a bit of home field in this spot, but I don't think the Giants are a better team, or at least not that substantially uh, of a better team than, than the Jets. So going to grin and bear it with Adam Gase and the Jets this week. And then the only other game, um, you know, I, I'm leaning the Bengals in the spot, even though the numbers are about right where the line is. Um, I just think intangibles-wise, you know, the Bengals are coming off a bye week. The Ravens just had a monster circle the wagons win on Sunday night against the Patriots as plus three and a half dogs. So the Bengals, this is really a spot where if, you're, if they're going to cash in it, they're going to bring a showing and bring some effort out of the bye week. This is the spot against the Ravens, who might be overlooking them here as well. So I'm leaning the Bengals. I have not gotten involved, but you know, if this one ticks up to 11, I think it's it's worthy, worthy of a take on the Bengals. Less of a lean, but uh, but I'm still looking at that one. And then other games I'm leaning, the Bucks gets down to minus four against the Cardinals, and then the 49ers, although that one is ticking up, uh, minus six, minus six and a half against the Seahawks. Those are just leans, though, at the current market prices. And then I mentioned the teaser before. I think teasing the Bills and the Jets is the move this week. We could also look to include the Lions in a teaser, getting them up through the key numbers of three and seven in a low-scoring game. And you could look at Thursday Night Football, getting involved on the home team Raiders in a teaser spot as well, but I'm not doing that. It's going to be a little higher scoring, and, and I, I don't trust them. I think the Chargers could be routing into form at the right time. So that's it, though, for this uh, for the NFL Week 10 card. There's really not too much value on it. There's a lot more value on the college football card. And then, of course, we have college basketball going on now. That's where the real value is on a day-to-day basis. So, well, college football, too. I can't hate on that. But college hoops is where it's at, in my opinion. I love I love them all the same, though. They're all like, like kind of like Joe B said earlier. They're all like babies of mine that I tend to carefully and, and put a lot of attention towards. So... I hope everyone's enjoying the season so far. I will be back next week 
We'll hopefully hear from Joe Rogers about his Vegas experience, and we'll try and bring some more winners. As always, follow Doggy Juice on Twitter and Instagram, and please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, You can also listen on SoundCloud. I'm working to get the podcast on some more platforms soon. And also, please leave a rating and a review. I really appreciate any feedback I can get, and any of those five-star clicks I can get from all of you is much appreciated if you've, you know, been getting winners from the doggy juice pod since i started it last september i think you owe it at the very least to to leave a nice little review to us here but as always thanks for listening it's been so much fun and i'm looking forward to diving into college hoops now more in the future we got everything going on baby so i'll talk to you all next week see ya good luck on your bets doggy juice out